Jeff? Yes, hello. There oh, was... you didn't say anything. I did boop boop, and you, you didn't say anything. I was most unusual. Oh, I didn't I, hear the boop boop, but in... yeah, it just I, sounded I, like I, you were shuffling papers or whatever. So that's that's just what I do: shuffle papers all the time. <laughs> citizen and welcome to snack a one time as far as we know read through of strontium dog search and destroy uh case files uh, agency files thank you agency files as you may know normally we do drock the monthly uh read through of judge dread the complete case files but um my co-host whom i will introduce in just a second uh, convinced me to give a try with the old Strontium dog. I needed I needed a break from Mega City One, as it were. So we are coming That's to you. Went to Milton Keynes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, we are coming to you live from the planet Zero Chill, and uh, I am I am <laughs> Jeff Lester, and with me my talented and delightful co-host. I'm Graham McMillan. Hi, everyone. Yes. So this time we are discussing again Strontium Dog Search and Destroy Agency Files Two. Graham, do you want to tell people the um, publishing? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you some more information on that. Uh, should we go into what Strontium Dog is, or do you want me to get the publishing information out of the way first? Yeah, publishing info first, and then okay. We'll sort this of, is material yeah. that was published between 1981 and 1984 in. Deep Breath, 2000 AD Progs, 200 through 221, 224 through 233, 335 through 345, 350 through 359, 363 through 385, and 2000 AD Annual 1982, which meant that it was published in 1981 because of British laws. <laughs> it is, for the most part, all written by John Wagner and Alan Grant. Carl Suscara is the artist on almost all of it, with the exception of their annual story is by Gary Rice and Steve Kite. Something that is weird and kind of wonderful about Strontium Dog is, individually, every story is credited to Alan Grant, but it was actually the work of Wagner and Grant. Grant just got the sole credit. Yes, which is kind of wacky and crazy. Um, the way that Grant said it is whoever typed the scripts got the credit. So Wagner got the credit for the dreads they wrote together and Grant but got the credit that's, for the best the thing is Wagner didn't even get the credit for those because they did it under a joint pseudonym. Yeah, under T.B. Grover, which I, yeah. I want to say – I thought I saw the, that pop up here at first and then rapidly disappear and become Alan Grant. So, Yes, so Strontium Dog – Again, uh, people may uh, who listen regular listeners of Drock may remember. Um, I think I was just getting a little dreaded out, and Graham suggested that we jump over and try Strontium Dog. Graham, what was your thinking about it? Do you want to talk set up the basics of the character and or the history? I, I, so Strontium Dog is another strip co-created by John Wagner and Carl Scarra. 
It was created for Star-Lord originally, which was 2080's sister title. Launched, I think, a year after 2080. So That's very right. close to the creation of, of Dread. Mm-hmm. And unlike Judge Dread, Strontium Dog, which moved over to 2080 when Star-Lord ended, which it did very quickly. Star-Lord didn't even last half a year. Star-Lord was gone right. very quickly. Yeah. And it folded into 2080. Strontium Dog was one of the stories that came over. For the majority of its run, Strontium Dog is John Wagner and Alan Grant and Carl Scarra and no one else. Yeah, which is amazing. Towards the end, Scarra steps away entirely and is replaced by Simon Harrison, by which point Wagner has also stepped away. Uh, when mm-hmm. when Scarra steps away, Wagner is also gone. Mm-hmm. But for the most part of its first run, shall we say... Uh, mm-hmm. Because it got a revival starting in 2000s. But for the majority of its first run, it is Wagner and Grant and Iscara. Right. Uh, this is in part because, unlike Dread, which appeared in every issue of 2008, Strong came and went. Dread is the only strip that has appeared in every issue, or most every issue of 2008. The other strips cycle in and out as as they're ready to do. Uh, which is one of the strengths of 2080 as an anthology, mm-hmm. that you don't really get a lot of fill-in work. And one creative team can tell an entire story because they are allowed to take a break and, and fuck off. You can tell, you know, like I said, this is comes from multiple 2080 progs. It basically stops for like two years, right? It, there's mm-hmm. a break between prog 233 and 335. Yeah, that's a lot. Which time. for a weekly comic is two years worth of material. Strontium Dog is... Uh, it's a bit much to say he's an anti-dread because obviously both of them are heroes question mark mm-hmm. but uh, Strontium Dog is not representing a traditional authority at all. Strontium Dog is the nickname given to the search and destroy agents, hence search destroy agency files all of whom are mutants who have come from the planet Earth after an atomic war as, as the, the first story in this volume is basically like Strontium Dog Year One. Uh, but as that story establishes, mutants are so unpopular <laughs> on Earth that basically they have to leave the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only work they can get is as as bounty hunters. The strip revolves around Johnny Alpha, who for the most part is the Strontium Dog of the title. He is, he is a man with magnificent hair and eyes that can do whatever the plot demands. He is accompanied... Uh, for the entirety of this volume, at least, by Wolf Sternhammer, a time-displaced Viking who is one of the best sidekicks in comics, as far as I'm concerned, uh, as well as occasionally the Gronk, who is not one of the best sidekicks in comics. <laughs> no kidding. Who is an alien who is so nervous he collapses. He is basically the fainting goat of comics. <laughs> uh, and he has multiple hearts, which leads him to say, oh, my hearts is before he collapses, because, again, he is not one of the best sidekicks in comics. Uh, it's... Uh, it's it has I think some similar influences to Dread, but takes them in very different directions. It feels much more like a western, yes, uh, than than Dread does. But I think it is arguably more fun than Dread. It's de- certainly more freewheeling in my mind than Dread. But the reason I recommended this volume, well, the reason I recommend Destroying Dog in general, was not only because I think. You, Jeff, and honestly, me as well, we're getting a little burnt out on the, the era of Dread we were reading. Mm-hmm. But also, this is like the other primary Wagner-Scarrow work. 
Right. And and the stuff in this volume is coming out at the same time as, you know, uh, the Judge Child Quest and Blogmania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's 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 a period of dread at least, and, and of Wagner, and in some cases Wagner and Scarer's work, that is is stuff that we both loved, we both absolutely adored. So it felt like a nice, a nice way, a nice palate cleanser, but also, a, a, you know, this is a comic that I love, but a comic that you didn't really have any experience with. So it was also kind of a look at. An alternate path we could have taken, almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, definitely. Um, because it it does feel to me like a very different strip. Oh, hugely, hugely. You know, I yeah. mean, even even as Garrus are, I think is very different here than it is on Dread. Oh God, yeah. I, I and in in ways that I think is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think there's a much sketchier, scratchier Scare here. Yes. Um, does stuff especially important of a mutant, which is the first. I mean, it's mega epic. It's twenty six parts, but um. He does stuff with flashbacks there that is just beautiful work, like really enjoyably sketchy and scratchy and and, and uh, unfinished, for a better way of putting it, in a way that I feel like he never really did on Dread. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that I think, you know, it's, it is it is recognizable as, you know, these are the people who do Dread work, but it is not a Dread clone by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, yeah, not at all. Not at all. So, so yeah. I've got to ask, just outright, did you like it? Uh, I did. I did. Um, you know me. I always got to throw in some qualifiers. It kind well, of... I mean, I, yeah, I, I, 400 pages of it, so if nothing else, you're probably exhausted by it. By the <laughs> it's true. It was, In fact, um, Portrait of a Mutant is so extensive and so huge. And when it wrapped up... I was like, wow, that was a thing. Holy cow. So they probably only have two stories left in this volume. And it's only the it's only 25% of it. It's like 100 pages long and this is a 400-page book. I just about screamed. Uh so the answer interestingly enough Stronium Dog at first was for me going to be kind of like a uh, at first, I was going to be like, "Yeah, I liked it as a palate cleanser. It was it was an interesting read. There's a lot of stuff there to sort of talk about and look at." I mean, part of it is is for me for for a, maybe halfway through the volume, I was like, "Okay, this is so worth reading just for Escara's art," because, like you said, Escara's art is fucking beautiful in this, and. It's sort of um, Stronium Dog is, to, in 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 my very unschooled mind, like has kind of one step, one foot more in kind of what I think of as a Euro comic tradition mm-hmm. than Dread, um, and that's I mean that's not entirely true. There's a lot of goofiness that's very much in the Wagner Grant tradition with oh, um, yes. all the various mutants and the names and you know ridiculous um ethnic stereotypes coming out in weird ways and weird very lot of weird freewheeling puns but um but in a way you know i think and the the thing that was kind of like oh this should totally be my jam but kind of for the first 
I don't know, 200 pages or so did not necessarily feel like my jam had a, had a lot to do with that Euro tradition of, to me, I feel like the European comics are um, a place where the Western is still very viable and very influential. And, Mm -hmm. and so Stronium Dog feels in a lot of ways like, you get Escara doing just be- just gorgeous, gorgeous work that in its weird way feels both unique and also very indebted to the European tradition. Like you kind of see what I feel like are Mobius influences sort of swimming in and out of it as he kind of as he is as if Escara wants it, he throws it out. And similarly, the Western tradition of Euro comics is really strong with Stronium Dog. It's um it's almost it's heavier, it's more heavily indebted to the spaghetti western in a lot of ways than mm-hmm. the more traditional western western and so um at first I was like, "Oh, this is you know, like I said, at first I'm like, oh, this is really going to be my jam, except I sort of felt like as somebody who had ingested a lot of spaghetti westerns over the last five years or so, I wasn't really sure if Stronium Dog was going to bring anything new to the table. Part of the problem for me diving into volume two is Portrait of a Mutant is incredibly strong, but of course seems really atypical. You know, it's it's the origin of Johnny Alpha and is a great is a great thing for me to start off with, don't get me wrong. And is Except it's also a terrible thing for you to start off with because it's literally a flashback origin prologue type story. Yeah. For something you don't have the background for. Well right? I mean yeah. I mean it sort of throws it what how do I put it? Like on the one hand there are those people who enjoy having say the mysterious character debut and you don't really know their quote unquote origin, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the things that's very nice about this volume in particular is um Portrait of a Mutant fills in Johnny Alpha's backstory, but also does a lot of the heavy world building. So by the time you kind of get to the end of the story, I felt like, okay, I kind of know more or less what the deal is, you know, literally, because some of the stuff that might have only been hinted at or referenced to, or, or maybe just sort of taken as, you know, uh, a priori kind of thing, such as all the mutants being off world and, and working as bounty hunters. By the time you get to the end, it makes sense. Also, one of the things that's great is portrait of a mutant by showing Johnny alpha as um, a revolutionary. You also get to meet a lot of his comrade in arms, um, which brings a lot of flavor to the story. And then what's delightful is as the volume goes on, by the time you get to the last big epic, it's kind of a perfect bookend to the opening epic because mm-hmm. you more or less have most of his um, soldiers at arms sort of come back 
to um, help him in his in his hour of need. And so it's kind of getting the gang back together and literally getting the gang back together to, as it turns out, fight the same threat. So Portrait of a Mutant starts off and I'm like, oh, I love this. This is totally Wagner and Grant doing their kind of... Um, novelistic spiel but also kind of a serial novel thing you know it's very um and again sort of where there was time where with the megaprogs early on that felt for dread like oh they're pulling a lot of robert louis stevenson here or they're um you know uh some of the some of the portrait of a mutant stuff felt really like hey, this is kind of maybe because of the revolution angle it's kind of like oh this is very Victor Hugo-y, you know, um, but again, in just such a weird skylarking way, you know, like, um, so, so I finished it up. I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. And then we get into the Gronk affair, which is, you know, <laughs> because the Gronk it's, is not a great character, you well, know. But also because you've had, so, I mean, Portrait of a Mutant is, like we said, 26 parts that yeah. is the origin story of everything. Right. You know, by this point, the character had been around for like three years on and off, mm -hmm. but you'd never really gotten the explanation. So you've got like Johnny is a bounty hunter and he's got this, you know, Viking friend and they're all mutants and, you know, they have adventures and the adventures are thrilling. Right. But then you have 26 episodes of here's his tragic backstory. Right. And here's how he's personally connected to the oppression of his own people. And the guilt he feels, you know, over all of this. Right. And then it goes to the Gronk Fair, which, again, in 2018 would probably be fine because it's an anthology. And there's, you know, mm -hmm. it's the strips fucked off for five weeks and come back. And you're like, oh, it's a fun adventure again. But here, mm -hmm. you're, you're like, wait. Right. What? Yeah. We, we've gone from, we've gone from the, you know, genuine epic sweep of the oppression the near genocide of an entire race of people to here's the cartoon comedy sidekick alien and his nervous friends who are getting bullied by a guy with snake heads you know right right i i think for me i guess part of the hmm, part of the thing that that sort of throws me what threw me a little bit is you've got the epic sweep of the first storyline and then the first two and a half stories following it um the kidney caper and the gronk affair and then i think it's the moses incident which we'll have to talk more extensively about um come off again in that kind of like oh yeah this is this is fine you know it's it's it they're the Gronk affair, I think, is probably the weakest story in the book, in a yeah, way. Yeah, I think it is. Um, it's certainly the most throwaway. And honestly, the for want of a better way of putting it, the silliest. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, on the one hand, I sort of both think so and... I don't know. I you there know like, or there are some other silly stories in here, which is 100% true. Well, yeah, I mean... I think what what's really interesting about Stranium Dog is there is just a really thick ribbon of absurdity that sort of winds through 
mm-hmm. a lot of the stories, like it's all just kind of, uh, but depending on how it is, it's kind of like a, a bit of drollery. But I think, I think for me, there's kind there's a little bit of a, um, I would say that the weird thing about particularly spaghetti Westerns is that there's the spaghetti Western genre has a very, um, uh, for lack of a better term, um, fluid, uh, definition of character and especially returning characters. Like, you know, everyone thinks I were, I don't know about everyone, but certainly the, uh, in many ways, the most commonly known sort of spaghetti Western Sergio Leone's, you know, man with no name trilogy, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, has Clint Eastwood, uh, as the man with no name in all three. It's really arguable that he's the same exact same person. In fact, it's probably likely that he's not. And I think Leone may have said as much. And in fact, you get actors, the exact same actors from movie to movie playing different parts. Like, you know, you get somebody like, um, uh, Lee Van Cleef playing a total bastard in one movie and then playing sort of the, the, the redemptive hero in the next movie. And even, even something like Django, which Django has, you know, 2,700 movies, you know, in the series. And yet most of them are not quote unquote Django. Like the first Django, the Franco Nero film um, was such a big hit people just started calling their characters Django, you know? So it's like, you know, if you see Django shoot, like Django this, Django that, like they're all characters that may be called Django, may not be, are not necessarily the same character. And so all of, all of what I'm saying, I guess, is that the spaghetti Western has a lot of um, almost stock types and stock situations and then it's more like variations on a theme and so in a weird way stronium dog post portrait of a mutant partway through the kidney caper i'm like it's it's almost like a spaghetti western tv show like you know a little bit kind of little i got a little bit of an a-team vibe for lack of a better term in just in terms of like oh okay these are rollicking characters they're gonna have good times you know and there's going to be a western situation of the week essentially that they are going to shoot their way through and this is sort of how wagner and grant are gonna kind of get their western jollies which you know is is something that we saw them play very heavily with in those early volumes of dread dread mm-hmm. returns a lot of times to variations on western scenarios and this kind of seemed like oh, okay these guys are just leaning into it and so and so halfway through the volume i'm like okay this is good i'm i'm 
quote-unquote liking this, but so much of it had to do with just the fact that fucking Escara's art is just goddamn gorgeous. Like, it's just page after page after page after page. One of the things that's, that you and I have talked about on Drock that takes, I think, a little bit of a non-2000 AD noob like myself to get used to was the rotating writers and artists. And sometimes when you had the rotating artist, like, you know, three quarters of a way through a storyline, like suddenly it goes from Brian Boland to Ron Smith. Like it's kind of, it's kind of whiplashy, right? You know, and it, it can be, it, you know, they got better at trying to pace things out. So you either got more similar artists closing the storyline or actually this the same artist so yeah, yeah, yeah. being able to see page after page after page after page after page after page after page of just gorgeous escara art and i also feel gorgeous black and white art like i can't imagine any of these pages in color i don't i would think that i mean the annual at the back by the totally different team yeah, yeah. um looks like it must have been done in color and it makes sense because i assume that's the case with annuals um but the rest of this just looks like it i i would be i i don't think it it would have been half as cool even for any of these chapters to appear colored or with color pages because it's it's mm -hmm. it really is escara bringing just a phenomenal um, sense, you know, his storytelling sense is strong. His ability to spot blacks, his use of negative space is just fucking astounding. But on oh, top I, of I, that, I his, his line work is shading. Yes, and see, that's it's, it. He's doing cross hatching in here that is just beautiful. Like just the just so textured, like. There was just times where the just the line work it's it's just sumptuous, right? I mean, I mean, sumptuous maybe isn't the right term, but it's it's really a full meal. To, I mean, it's it's his this. line work is his. Escara Strong Name Dog is what made me a Scara fan before Dread. Oh, I believe it. Right, I believe like it. his Dread work. His Dread work is really good. I'm you know I I love his Dread work, but Strong Name Dog is what made me like Escara. Right, because Strong Name Dog is. It, it's, I think sumptuous is a good way of putting it, but it's also so um, deliberate, I think might be a good way to put it. Yeah. Like, he controls the, the reader's eye it just seemingly effortlessly. Oh. But he knows how to – he knows when to vary his approach. Mm -hmm. You know, he repeatedly – like, he's really good with solid blacks. Yeah. Right? But then when he does flashbacks or he yes. does like x-ray scenes mm -hmm. and it's it's it, it like there's no solid black like yeah. that shit's amazing. Yes. Uh, fucking amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and it's very impactful. You as a reader understand something is happening here. Something is different. Mm -hmm. Like it, this is meant to be a signifier. Yeah. Um, his design work in these books is amazing. Mm hmm. Really genuinely astonishing. His design work, I think, here, like, I think that Johnny Alpha's uh, look is is superior to Dreads. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, that the Johnny Alpha design is just fucking great. I think that helmet is absolutely fucking insane uh, and so distinctive. Mm -hmm. that, that, and then with the, the shadow it puts over his eyes, yes. like, it, it's, it's such a strong visual. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think Wolf looks great as well. I think it's another great design. Oh, uh, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think that it's, it really is, as much as I love the Wagner Grant writing here, and I do, I think there's some really just fucking top level writing. This volume especially, but it's Drunken Dog in general, is a scary show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I think you're right in saying that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so for the first half of it, I was, I say half, let's see here, where does this kick in? Yeah, maybe at, at around page 170 or something like that, which is more or less two parts into the Moses incident. So it is the part where it just catches fire for me. Because, again, reading 400 pages of Iskara art, you know, in black and white, that is just fucking phenomenally beautiful. I was kind of thinking I was going to be like, yeah, Graham is great. I see a lot of potential, like it was gorgeous to look at. I feel like the character really has potential, but I'm not really sure that, quote unquote, it works or is for me. And one of the things that I think really I'm happy proved me wrong is the Moses incident, because... Mm -hmm. It starts off very, very, very much like uh, in the sort of classic Western spaghetti Western type area. Um, You know, Johnny Alpha and Wolf come to a planet to take down a gang that they've got a bounty on. And they are in this sort of remote village, you know, sort of this, you know, it's a Western town, you know, it, it's at the same time a space town, but it's clearly a Western town of settlers and stuff like that. And there's a mom and her kid, Moses, who's super excited to see the strontium dog, Johnny Alpha, and is like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. I have to watch him, you know, gr- take it down, Dobie Zitch. And in the shootout between... Dobie and Johnny Moses gets hit by a stray bullet and dies and the mother's like oh you know you were his hero and it got him killed and you're all monsters and my boy what have you done and Johnny Alpha's completely filled with guilt and you see the funeral service and the woman weeping and crying at his face, calling him a killer and him being morose. And, and all of this is, you know, pretty standard Western fare. And then, um, that it's not. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to, he, he's like, you know, basically, Wolf is like, what can you do? You can't bring Moses' quest back to life. And and Johnny's like, maybe we can. You ever hear of Island of the Living Dead? And that was the point where I think I literally said, what the fuck, out loud. And from there, it just goes great. Because you go somewhere from Spaghetti Western to Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, where Johnny Alpha digs up Moses and takes him to the Island of the Living Dead where the entombed black sorcerer Marak Brack or Borax Thung Malak Brood Malak Brood um, has been imprisoned by sorcerers and has essentially drained the entire prison planet and turned it into a zombie planet. He is a necromancer and Johnny Alpha basically has 
goes to hunt him down and demands that he brings Moses back to life. And at that point, I'm like, oh, this is this is fucking great. Like, to me, that's the part where I think I kind of felt like, oh, uh, like, even Portrait of a Mutant, which I enjoyed and again in sort of my weird Victor Hugo-esque kind of ways, is still kind of a space western you know like sure. sort of it's it's not it's not dissimilar from something like firefly where you realize that that you know the crew of the firefly most of them are are you know had fought the civil war in space and were brown coats and you know more or less had lost and are, are out on the frontier being rebels you know but Malik Brood does not have anything like a precedent in Westerns unless you're looking at, like, I don't know, El Topo by Jodorowsky or, I don't know, The Phantom Empire or some sort of just weird shit. And I think the part for me where this title really moved into, okay, I'm loving this, is that... Wagner and Grant are kind of like we're doing we're doing western stories but then we'll take them anywhere if we think that it's amusing enough you know so um the Moses incident just knocked my brains right out of my head i i feel like it's got the same sort of weakness that a lot of Wagner Grant stories have which is more or less by the time you get to the big showdown the final final showdown between malik brood and johnny it's it's pretty goddamn underwhelming you know but 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 i was so on board and then you follow that with the killing which is basically a battle royale between on a planet that every year has, um, what is it, a hundred people um, fighting, and the last one left alive wins all these credits, and Johnny and Wolf have entered into the competition because so many of the people fighting are want, wanted criminals that they can just gun down and collect the the bounty the money. on. Yeah, I mean. Again, it's a weird, like, well, it's a little bit spaghetti western, but it's also a little bit, like, I don't even know, like, Westworld or, like, you know, Rollerball. I don't know. It, but it, it's also deeply satisfying. It just moves. And that's, I think, ultimately the other part that ends up being great about Stron this volume of Strontium Dog is it's just most of the stories are are always moving. They're always yes. hustling, you know? And, and the hustle ways that, like, Dread doesn't. Yes. No. Like, Dread is, Dread is, for want of a better way of putting it, more controlled. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right? Right. There is something about a strontium dog, especially a really good strontium dog, where yeah. at least at one point in a story, it will do something you just have did not see coming. Yeah. Right. You know? Like sometimes, sometimes that's that's not the case. Like the Gronk affair is pretty much like you know mm-hmm. exactly what to do, and it does it, right? right? But uh, the Moses incident, uh, the the killing, I think, also for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even someone like Outlaw, 
mm-hmm. which oh, is Jesus. A, again a relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden the the bounty hunters are the ones being hunted. Like all of these stories have moments in them where you're like, "Oh shit, it's this story." I thought it was that story. Right. I think I think there's a moment of this story. I thought it was that story, but I think the other thing is kind of um you know, dread is a, a little more is a lot more staccato um the way that Wagner and Grant do it they'll do a longer they'll do the makeup progs of course but but there's you know they tend to they tend to break it up with a little bit of whimsy a little bit of you know vaudeville between sets and scenes I'm I'm impressed by how much and or I guess I should say that we've talked about the influence of of Eisner on in dread and so therefore you get a lot of you know the brilliance of wagner and then wagner and grant on dread is they really kind of realize that mega city one is the other great character in the series yes. and by yes. fleshing that out with the citizens of this of it both generally and specifically it gives a it gives a counterpoint to what's going on, which makes sense. Like dread by the nature of dread, Stronium Dog does not have that, and so what they end up doing is just taking action sequences and playing them out much farther and more mm-hmm. cleverly than you would think. Like there's some really some of my favorite dread mega stories that sort of have the kind of extended action sequences but this volume of Stronium Dog like whether it's the killing which goes on for like nine or ten parts and it's just people running around killing each other in entertaining ways you know and then Outlaw which starts as Oh, it looks like Johnny Alpha's being framed by two other bad bounty hunters for some reason and rapidly grows into, okay, now it's Johnny Alpha and Wolf against the entirety of the other Stronium dogs. Just when their goose is cooked, they're saved by the guys that Johnny fought with in the mutant wars. But now all of them are fleeing and they can only get as far as being shot down over Earth. And they're more or less on the run trying to get back off planet for something like 30 pages or something like that. And so it's kind of got that wild and wooly aspect that Wagner and Grant bring to some of my favorite mega progs where, like you said, you think it's this story, but it actually turns out to be that story. But it's just the they heap complication on top of complication on the characters and the characters kind of go from the frying pan to the fire to another fire to manage to escape just by crawling into the frying pan again. And it's, it's, it's just, it's just a ripping yarn after ripping yarn more or less. It is. And I think one of the, one of the joys for Strontium Dog in it, in its prime, and you know that is basically this volume and the next volume. I think I think volumes two and three of the Search Agency Destroy File, uh, Search Destroy Agency Files, um, 
are the best strong team dog is mm-hmm. and, and that really is that you get this this storytelling that is almost constantly trying to one-up itself mm-hmm. uh, in a way that is just thrilling to read yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that you know even even at its worst even at something like the Gronk affair um is at least entertaining but when it when they're on it's just consistently surprising writing funny writing i think this is actually a very funny strip oh, in a way God. different mm-hmm. humor mm-hmm. than dread mm-hmm. um and at times like much more broad i mean there's literally a character whose face is on his knee called kid knee for the love of fucking god but also like it feels like why where wagner and grant go to be weird if that makes sense that i really really like that i, that I think is 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 very much in the strip's favor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird amalgam of stuff honestly it really is like i mentioned the euro comics because you get just these really strange mutants and just a lot of um just 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 absurd funny and or dumb um underground it it almost felt like underground comics to me you know and part of that could be i think i think that's a really apt analogy like I also I think I think the Euro comics is also a very apt analogy as well. Like mm-hmm. a strong team dog again at its best, it reads like you know the heavy metal version of some weird wacky nineteen sixties underground comic parody mm-hmm. of a western. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very. I think so, very much so, because by the time you get this stuff like whatever his name is, you know. Sp- Bud McBronagh or whatever, the potato-headed Irish Mid- guy. McNulty? Oh, yeah, Middenface. I was going to ask you about I'm that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you, Middenface McNulty is a hero. We're yeah. not calling Spud anything. Whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. I'm talking about literally the potato-headed Irish guy who says Bagora, who gets gunned down at a certain point. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I thought for a second you genuinely were, were taking Middenface's name. In. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry, I saw you being upset. I'm like, no, 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 no. Middenface is a whole other thing. But yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And that's it. Middenface is amazing and great. And some of the early jokes that they have when he's like saying stuff and Johnny's like, you'll have to tell me later. Like, you know, he thinks that he's making a speech instead of saying what to do. Wonderful, a lot of lot of great Scots jokes. Like the fact that the um, that uh, Outlaw starts with essentially a Scottish uh, a water plant with a Scottish fishing village, um, where the the people are in the process of of having their annual fish feast before the the bad guys come in and start killing people, is just just ridiculous. So. So again, there's a lot of broad humor. I mean, at which I started off being like, oh, I don't know. But by the time you get to like, you know, a, a, a shrimp headed strontium dog named Vince Scampy, like it's just, it's kind of impossible, like not to love, but it's, yeah, you can't resist it in part because it's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> If right. I was to just won't fucking stop. Oh yeah, they really will not. Like I don't know if I'm, you know, if I'm buying into because there's who are the brothers, the weird brothers, right? 
Are they uh, the ones yeah. who are no earlier? The and then it's aren't the sticks, the sticks or whatever. Yeah, I know. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of the ones where it's the the there's there's a pair of conjoined twins. Mm. Are the weird brothers? Yeah. Ah, oh god, really? That may not. I, I don't I, think that's in this volume, is it? it no, it's in Portrait of a Mutant. It's in Portrait of a Mutant. It's because oh, it's one okay. of the fellow rebels. Uh, and one of them dies, and you get the living one be like, "You killed my brother," and like he's still hanging on his body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just stuff. There's some of, in Portrait of a Mutant. Some of the stuff because, of course, they're fighting back against, um, you know, the the when they they raid Upminster Palace, which is which houses the new British parliament and every government building, as well as the palace of King Clarky the second, like some of the shit that goes on in there too, where people are like, we're under attack. And like one of the parliament people is like, we'll have to debate this or something like just really broad bits and humor in it. That's yeah. in the middle of something that really is like, you know, at the same time, a I don't want to say a super serious story about genocide, but genocide is played as as a very high stakes thing. You know, even though most of Johnny's fellow warriors are, you know, goofy, like yeah. yeah, just just yeah, like the torso from what is it? The torso of Newcastle, right? Yeah, the torso of Newcastle, just amazing shit. And so I think but, but Scott... it's, it's true. Like one of the weird things about Portrait of Mutant is that it is, you know, the, the fellow mutants are these weird, broad cartoon characters. Yeah. Right. Um, but the story is at its heart, like dark as shit. Yeah. Very much like, so. Really shockingly dark. Yeah. If you, if you really lead into it, not just in terms of what, like, should we, can we speak? Spoil it or not? Like this material's forty years old, but I also feel like it's stuff that people listening wouldn't necessarily have read, and I kind of want them to read. Yeah, I think you guys should come out and read. We will leave a couple of the big twists because there are there's a big twist in there, yeah there's 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 a, at least a couple of big twists in yeah. mutants, but but the like in terms of what Creelman is doing to mutants, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what this mm-hmm. this you know uber normal bigot is doing to mutants yeah is 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 literally genocide mm-hmm. right it's it's is is appalling and it and is bigotry on 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 a, a grand scale well and yeah I, but i don't think the story shies away from that no and what's really weird is that you get that and then you get this political uh and social rebellion mm-hmm. against it which leads to a revolution which is you know, to some degree successful. And again, that isn't underplayed either. Yeah. It's all told, as you said, like, you know, a grand adventure story, but it's, it, it's not underscored. Like they're, they're not making light of either the genocide or the rebellion, but you do get the torso of Newcastle or right. Kid Knee or mm-hmm. Mid-Base McNulty. Yeah. They are the cartoonish characters and they do find jokes in there. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the clashing tones somehow don't clash as much as they should i guess like it's, know, it's there's a mm-hmm. weird there's a weird thing about the the especially in portrait of mutant which i think is by far the most serious story here mm-hmm. 
Because mm-hmm. um, Trudging Dog is is a series that has massive tonal shifts mm-hmm. and, and and goes from broad comedy to, you know, what we're talking about with Portrait of a Mutant. Um, but Portrait of a Mutant is, I think, the most serious story here, but yeah. it still has incredibly broad comedy at times. Mm-hmm. And somehow it still works. And I shouldn't. Well, you know, and this it this is this is one of those strange things that thinking about it, like we talked about, maybe it is because of the influence of underground comics, you know, that were relatively by the time this material published, like still kind of in the rear view, you know. I mean, if you think about Strontium Dog being published in two thousand AD. And you've got, like, again, almost a sweeping historical epic adventure story that also, you know, plays with undertones of genocide while you've got broadly stereotyped characters. It, it's worth thinking that this is when Cerebus the Aardvark is, like, in its heyday, right? Like, you've got a, an Aardvark barbarian and it's being used as a vehicle to critique and look at um, how power consolidates in cultures or you look at something like Howard the Duck which looks like a goof it and is an incredibly goofy broad strip about a, a talking duck transported to earth and and yet becomes you know, uh, the focus of so many of Steve Gerber's associations. So I think it's, I'm curious, like, I feel like this material is kind of from that period where people took very goofy things and then, you know, sort of ramped up their ambition and suddenly you were looking at some very, serious stuff happening with it or you just had people who were kind of like you know this is again the alternative independent comic streak coming through where people are like these are my characters and I'm I'm going to use them to tell you know whatever story that I want to do and 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 so there is a lot of just I mean Wagner and Grant clearly think that goofy is important you know what i mean like it's you're seeing goofy stuff happen over in dread too but strontium dog really i think like you said doubles down on daring you to um accept or reject it wholesale and so stuff like outlaw which doesn't have the genocidal e undercurrents um at the same time is a ripping adventure yarn where various characters that you have fondness for get killed and die or betrayed and tortured or are on the run and you have to believe that they're really in danger even though they are being ambushed by you know a a character named Egghead who has an enormously big head of like an egg you know like (laughs) It's just, it. it is, it's sort of a, I think it's kind of interesting because I feel like I do wonder sometimes if part of the charm of that stuff is, is that if you, if you do buy into it, you're, it, it makes sense. You'd almost be a fan for life, 
because you overcome um, a much higher hurdle that that a lot of um, readers normally, you know, the suspension of disbelief that they have to overcome is, you know, even in comics is pretty high, but there's got to be some standards. But like you said, Strontium Dog has areas where they it should be to the point where it breaks the narrative and yet somehow it doesn't. And that's pretty remarkable. And it also very much feels like, for lack of a better term, it's comics. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. It, it's also the strip where continually it feels as if it's so close to going off the rails. For me, at least, there feels like a sense of danger in Strontium Dog, not in the internal narrative Danger. Yes, right. You know, there's a, there's always risk to the characters. That it's right. adventure comics. It's adventure comics that's been told in like four or five page chapters. Yeah. So every episode starts with a resolution of something and ends with a cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, there's there's danger in that sense. But I mean, in danger of Wagner and Grant are not knowing what they're doing, or they're going to like go too far. Yes, right. They're going yeah. to lose control of the story. That's right. I, and I, honestly. One of the things by the time that the strip ends, the mm-hmm. first run of the strip ends, I think that what's happened is like that's happened. Mm, I think yeah. that I think that Grant actually does ultimately lose control of the story. But in this, you know, in, in this period, it never goes too far that you're not willing to go with it. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that I think that a lot of adventure strips you read for the the courage and daring of the heroes and i think here the 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 actual dramatic tension is from the courage and daring do of the creators watching them literally really dare to push things to a point that like you said it's just it seems like it's going to lose control because although i love the particularly wolf sternhammer who i think is just kind of perfectly is such a perfectly realized sidekick um neither of those characters are necessarily what you would call deep you know what i mean like johnny alpha one of the things that's great about portrait of a mutant is it sort of gives him a lot of layers that for the most part the later stories do or don't really touch on you know, like it's sort of, I never got really much of a sense of, of Johnny Alpha as, as a character per se, like what he wants or what he cares about. Like he and Wolf are always, you know, it's again, it's very much like a spaghetti Western or a TV show. You always see them accruing hundreds of thousands of credits you never see them spending it you never see them doing anything for it it's kind of a it's kind of a series gimme and so there is something that is um there's kind of uh it's it's not a bad deal in fact there's there's some ways where again sort of the same way that part of the juice that underground comics got was on the one hand like throwing swears and sex but also real life situations into super flat characters like going back to the classic day of trying to recapture newspaper 
characters and comic strip characters and and characters that had like a gimmick and a hook but not necessarily what you would think of as deep characterization yeah exactly and there's there's a lot of that to hear in stronium dog and i think it's one of those things that like i said after portrait of a mutant i'm like okay this is going to end up being dead in the water and because there's kind of it almost feels like there's no there there and then what ends up happening is i mean again astonishingly beautiful art but wagner and grant just start going nuts and there is sort of a um just startling velocity to this book that makes it just just a real delight um you know, and then that makes it really funny because then when there's shit, like, you're like, oh my god, they went out of their way to craft an Osmond Brothers joke, you know, and then... <laughs> it well, I mean, it, it yeah. is, it many times, because it is so weird and because it, it does seem more freewheeling, there is much more of a sense of there are jokes in here that they made to amuse themselves. Oh, yeah, very much so. Right? Yeah. This mm-hmm. feels, like, far more indulgent than Dread. Which yeah. again, I think is is part of its appeal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for me at least. That yeah. that it you get, I get the feeling that you're seeing more of Wagner and Grant in this. Which is you know? funny because I always felt like we it's it's not like there was a deficit of them in. Oh no Dread, no, no no I you know? I agree, but right. I feel that you you do even just in things like Midden Face or the. They, I can't remember whatever the party was that they break up at the start of Outlaw. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, like that feels like it's very particular in jokes for them. Yeah, no, you know, it's it, like really get in dread. It's all goofy. It's all loosey goosey, and it all ends up being um, really fun. Uh, it's it's one of those things that's interesting. Again, Stronium Dog. The other thing that you mentioned is he's. He's pretty Kirby-esque, you know, in the sense that he's got, like, kind of an endless supply of really cool weapons. Yeah, and gadgets. And when that fails, you know, his Stronium eyes can do what they need to do in a stretch, you know. It's, It's always fun to show him, like looking through stuff and being able to, you know, pr- protect himself from ambushes. But there's parts in this where he, like, le- uses his strontium eyes to look into a man's mind and read his thoughts. Or yeah, at a certain or point... confuse them. Yes. Yeah, he literally fries two people's brains at one point in order to keep the, the strip going in a, in a crucial way. Um, yeah, just really, uh, I gotta say, Graham, it was, it was, it, it ended up being a really exciting read. What's funny is, so you're like, this is volume two. And I, I think this is, I think this was the volume to get you to read. Like, yeah, this is one that would sell you. Mm-hmm. And volume one has all the Star-Lord stuff, which interestingly enough, compared with what you were saying before, was partly in color because it had basically the dread appeal. So two pages of it were in color because right. it was the strip in Star-Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's also got the early 2018 material, which includes uh, it includes the the Hitler story, right. which I, I've talked about before in Drock, and I think on Wait What as well, which is you know a particular joy where they go back in time to to 
get Hitler for his crimes against humanity. Um, but it also features a story where they literally go to hell, actually in hell. Mm-hmm. So it's why, for me, something like you know the Moses incident d- didn't have the shock of the new that it does for you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And which is which is fine. I I definitely found myself being like, yeah, I think I would really like to pick up volume one now that I'm schooled in volume two. Uh, interestingly enough, it was like, yeah, I want to read one, even if it's rougher material, I think I could be. Whereas I really want to read three. And I want right. to say, where does, where does bitch take place? Is bitch in four? Yeah, bitch is in issue four. In, in volume four. Mm-hmm. And Bitch is great. Mm. Because Bitch is the introduction of Durham Red. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, who you probably know of. Yes, think, absolutely. A successful her, spin-off character. Her mutant ability is that she's a vampire. Yes, right, which is just... Um, and Bitch comes in and like a, a, it's like another 26-part story. Wow. And it's, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's very much, it's very much like like the material here, where you think it starts off as like a straightforward bounty hunter story, but then it becomes this weird, like daring do adventure story. But also, one of them's a vampire. Right, right. You know, God bless. I'm super, I'm super supportive of that. I think, I think I would love to see more strontium dog material. I'm fascinated by the idea that. The series has ended and started and been retconned several times. In fact, your description of Wolf Sternhammer as a a time-displaced Viking is the second origin of him, right? He doesn't start out as that way originally, if I'm understanding the Wikipedia stuff. I, I think he does. I might be wrong. It's definitely whatever the origin of him ends up being, like the, the right. official origin of him ends up yeah. being. Right. But it's, I mean, it, it's, because I'm guessing if you looked up the Wikipedia, you know what happens to Wolf then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sort of vaguely. Yeah. Because that leads into, you know, we've talked about the tonality of, of Strontium Dog in this volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, again... You know, I'm quasi-spoilering, but also not because this material is 40 years old. Right. Uh, let's just say that Wolf gets written out of the strip at some point in mm-hmm. such a way that it upsets Johnny considerably. Yes. yeah. And the storyline that follows is called Rage mm-hmm. and is Strondian Dog as Revenge Western and that's it. Oof. Right? It's literally, they take out the jokes. Mm-hmm. They take out... Uh, you know, they take out the more outrageous science fiction elements. Mm-hmm. It is just somebody done Johnny wrong, and he is going to fucking kill them. The mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right. it does not lighten up, and it's great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you've kind of seen them go close to that. Mm-hmm. But then when they commit, it really fucking works, and it really lands. Right. In a way that you're kind of shaken by. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, like you said, my my understanding is, yeah, you get to that, you get to, you more or less get to the quote-unquote end of the series, then you have more stories that happen before the end of the series, then there's a reboot in which 
these stories are sort of the legends told about the character, and then they have their actual adventures, quote unquote. Yeah, so so it gets wacky. So yeah, end of this first run, like I said, Scare and Wagner both go. Grant's writing it, and Colin McNeil comes in, and Simon Harrison comes in, and they kill off Johnny. The end of the strip is Johnny's death. Right. Yeah. And then it was done. Like, the series was over. Johnny mm-hmm. is dead. The right. end. And that was in the, the early 90s, I think. Maybe the late 80s. But it's around that period. Mm-hmm. And then Garth Ennis takes over. And it becomes Strontium Dogs. And it's mm-hmm. about supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, it's Garth Ennis when he's getting his career started. And so the Gronk gets, like, a gritty reboot Oh yeah, right, right. That is yeah, like yeah, yeah. Half joke, but also half not joke. Because mm-hmm. you know, Garth Ennis is like seventeen. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, you laughed at him, but now he's a badass. But it's right. not really a joke, is the problem, right? Right. It's sort of thing that he himself would make fun of years later. Yeah. Uh, but then what happens is around two thousand or something, Wagner, who apparently for years had gone, no, it was a mistake. Killing Johnny was a mistake. He and Escara return to the strip and do a flashback mm-hmm. of. Of uh, Johnny and Wolf. Mm-hmm. The proof's so successful. It's, first of all, that strip is based on Wagner's pitch for a Strontium Dog movie that never happened. Oh, interesting. But that strip proves successful enough that they do a number of like flashback strips. Mm-hmm. And then they just decide, fuck it, we're going to retcon Johnny's death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they do a, a fairly lengthy story of Johnny's not actually dead, but everyone thinks he's dead. Because what you saw happened wasn't really what happened, and we'll explain it all. Mm-hmm. And then they move forward from there. So it gets weird. <laughs> right. Like I said, for me, like Strontium Dog honestly is the first run of the strip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everything comes afterwards is fun. Like I do like the later Wagner Ascara stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's it feels, for want of a better way of putting it, non-canonical. Sure. Which I get. And one of the things I think is interesting is, of course, you know, Iscara has passed. And my understanding is they still have not done any further Strontium Dog stories. And I think that's probably a smart idea, you know? Um, They've done, like, spin-off, kind of. like Exactly. uh, Rob Williams has done one with, like, Lawrence Campbell or something. But, like, they're not even serials. It's, like, one-offs and specials. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly don't think you're going to get anyone else taking over Strontium Dog uh, anytime soon. Yeah. I honestly think you might not see any new sustained Strontium Dog until Wagner's death, if not. like Right. Ever. That could well be. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think of much of anything, I think Wagner just is not going to do it without Iscara. Right. And, and honestly, I kind of, after this volume alone, I hugely respect that. Like, there is something about the fact that it is all these volumes where it's almost like it's it's Ascara minus the few little asterisk exceptions. I think is it's it's weird that that seems somehow super important, you know. It's, but it does. It's like mm-hmm. it's, like I said before, like you said. A significant portion of the appeal of Strontium Dog, especially like in this era, is the artwork. Oh, this book looks fucking amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It really does, and it's so imbued with. And I think 
I think that's the thing that I think is is interesting. Like I feel like Judge Dredd is a character that was sort of invented to be it sort of seemed like it was going to be like oh anyone will do a dread story anyone can do a dread story you know was the theory and then wagner and grant kind of came in and particularly wagner leave such a stamp on dread that everything else is in its shadow and but it sort of feels like, how do I feel? Like, it feels like those are things that fell into place. Strontium Dog feels like it stays organic the whole way. You know, like, you know, Wagner and Iscara create Strontium Dog. They also create Dread. But essentially, when Dread first appears, it's not written by Wagner. It's not drawn by Iscara, you know? Mm-hmm. And... And at first with, you know, is it like, is it going to be Pat Mills? No, here comes Wagner, here comes Wagner and Grant. And then kind of they're off to the races. But even by the time Mascara pops up on it. So it's not, um, Dread is is already sort of, uh, is up for grabs in a way. And Strontium Dog is, feels way closer to something that I just think, and anyone, any sensible creator would or should, I think, think twice before working on it. Because it feels like a, it feels like a very singular uh, creation, even though what, when what's I say really singular, weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what's really mm-hmm. weird is when it starts in Star-Lord, it's mm-hmm. clearly intended to be the dread of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where you have... Brendan McCarthy illustrating some of those early episodes. You have Ian That's Gibson right. illustrating some of those early episodes mm-hmm. in Star-Lord. And it's only when it switches to 2080 and it doesn't become an every issue thing that it basically becomes it's going to be Grant, Wagner, and Ascara. Right. And that's it. That's yeah. the team. And when it's yeah. not, it feels unusual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it feels lesser. I like Colin McNeil a lot, a lot, a lot, but his Strontium Dog is just... It's not Strontium Dog. I mean, so there is a there is a piece Gary Rice and Steve Kite do a story that that runs in a two thousand eight annual, annual yeah. right? It's just one single story. It's perfectly serviceable. It actually is, I think, a very smart little piece in that um, it also has a lot of the spaghetti western riffs, but. It never really exceeds it, you know, perhaps understandably Gary Rice more or less writes Dread, I mean, writes uh, Johnny Alpha like he's Dread, like he's calling people creeps and punks on the pages for the most part, you know, and is is a super tough guy. Um, It's fine, but it really is like after, particularly coming at the end, I'm like, ooh, Oof, this is rough. Like it's just it's it's super generic and it seems there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Like again, I say generic in a you know, it's a sci-fi spaghetti western with mutants, but but it's really just it's just product, you know. There yeah, is yeah. something where you know 
it is it it, it really in this volume is seen three very talented creators each bring different things to the party and it really makes it all strangely greater than the sum of its parts you know it's funny because i feel like the first several sets of dread were uh, of drock were me reading dread stories and trying to get a handle on what a dread kind of what a dread story was and what a good dread story was. Yeah. And I remember. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, admittedly this thing was 400 pages, which is a lot of material. And yet at the same time, I'm like, okay, I feel like I have a much stronger sense of what a strontium dog story is and, and what a good strontium dog story is. But in many ways it also is, it's so much easier because it's just kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, if you've got, I don't know, you know, if you've got Escara drawing it and then Wagner and or Grant writing it, like, it's it's going to be it's going to be pretty great, you know. Um, yeah, it becomes much easier because it is it. You know, what makes a good Strontium luxury is it has to be those three creators. Yeah. Right. You know, like what makes the best Strontium luxury? It's going to be Wagner and Grant and Escara. It, right. it just is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even their weaker uh, entries in the series are still stronger right. than other people's best efforts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, it has, you know, good pages and bad pages, but all of them are amazing. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, all of them are just these beautiful, particularly uh, evocative. Mm-hmm. You know, takes on the material that could only be him. You know, there are you can see Mobius in some of his his yeah. rendering, right? Yeah. You can see, you know, the influence of of other artists there, sure, but no one draws like Ascara does. No, and and when Ascara is the only char- the only creator, you know, for all intents purposes, who's touching this character, mm-hmm. then that finds the look of the character. One of the things that's funny is I'm not really sure how much I like uh, Johnny Alpha's helmet. Like, I sort of admire his costume on sort of the face of it, I guess. Like, oh, it's it's unique, uh, but I'm also kind of like, maybe it's just a little too Euro for me. But once he... Th- there's a lot of shots of him without his helmet here and that is in another way in which he's the anti-dread i i you know i love the hair but the combination of the hair his his blank eyes because it's astronium eyes and especially um the way the broader nose that ascara draws him he's kind of leonine you know what i mean it's kind Mm -hmm. of johnny alpha kind of has like a lion's head in a way that so totally works for the character and gives him this weird um, dignity that really suits the character, you know what I mean? And is really just very, it just, it just always works. There's so many shots of that. It helps, of course, probably that again, this is the first chunk of, um, Strontium Dog that I've really ever read. Like, I've read isolated stories like 
I read Wagner and Escara's chapters um, when they were returning to Strontium Dog, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, fine. But here, maybe because the first 15 chapters has him as a young kid, and therefore he doesn't have his helmet and he doesn't have his uniform, I was like, oh, yeah, this 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 really does. Um, it's just great character design. I guess is is part of what I'm saying is is <laughs> apart from the women of the series, which more or less literally feels like Escara is drawing the same woman over and over again, sometimes yes. in different outfits, sometimes in exactly the same fucking outfit. Their hair All, tends to change, Jeff. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Half of them seem slapped under the space bonnet that seems exactly the same. Um, but all the rest of the characters are 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 utterly unique in a way that is is just kind of, again kind of a cartooning joy you know because it really does take someone like Escara who can draw I mean part of it of course is like sure how hard is it to draw characters that seem totally different when one person's face is on their knee for example but but Escara just is insane at being able to take all these different characters, make them identifiable, and then really draw them from just about any angle. You know, like his his storytelling is so fierce here. He can just draw anything from anywhere, but on top of which, it's all just so heavily identifiable as him. Like, I, God, when Malik Brood first shows up, I'm just like... Like, that character is just, like, you can practically hear the gong in the background, you know, with that opening panel. And it's just, yeah, um, I, I you know, I, I hate to shortchange everyone, but I don't know if I have much more to say other than superlatives and, you know, apart from spoiling plot points or jokes. So I would say just well, okay. just go read it. Well, that was what I was going to ask, right? This is this is your introduction to this stuff. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. You clearly liked it. Would you recommend mm -hmm. it to other people? Would you recommend this volume to other people? Well, I haven't read other volumes, but I do think that that one of the charms of volume two is it is an entire volume by, with the exception of the very brief story at the end. It's an entire volume by the same creators. It actually starts with the origin of the main character and more or less fleshes out the entire history. So I think it's it's a much better introductory... It's an excellent introduction volume to Stronium Dog. If you pick up this volume and it leaves you cold, I mean, I don't know, Graham. It seems to me that you... That, that, the charms of Stranium Dog would never take. You know what I mean? Because I really felt like, for me, for the first quarter to a third, I was like, oh, this is good, but I don't really know if I'll necessarily track down more of this character. And then um, when I finished this volume, I was like, okay, did any more of these volumes end up in the Humble Bundles that I bought? Do I have any more of them? tucked away in my digital archives or am I going to have to go buy these things off the 2000 AD store um, so yeah for me I'm kind of like I'm like I, it seems to me like a perfect volume 
because if you don't, if you're not into it, I just don't know how you'd ever be into it, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I Honestly, the thing I was worried about, and the thing I was really worried about with you, to be honest, was that it was so long. Yeah. When I, when I initially recommended it, I did not think it was that long. And here's the thing. I own all these volumes in print, mm. right? This, like other things, mm-hmm. like with the, the drugs where I got digital versions, I own all these volumes in print. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, volume two, that's going to be the best one, blah, blah, blah. And then, like that night after recording... <laughs> I right. was walking past the, the bookcase, and I was like, that's a really thick book. You know, oh, but I'll oh, no. tell you, what, help, what helps is um, that they're all pretty longish stories. Like, it's 400 pages. It's only, what, five stories in the volume, you know, um, and so, plus the annual story. So, I think if it had been 400 pages where like with a typical uh, Dread case files, where that means that you're reading like, I don't know, what, 15 stories or something like that. I think that would have broken my brain a lot. But the fact that it was essentially just sort of longer epics, um, you know, really helped a lot. It helped It helped a tremendous amount, I think. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm literally it. looking at the... I'm looking at this story breakdown. It's literally six stories. Yeah. Right. So it's that stories across 400 pages. Right. And, and outlaw and portrait of the Newton are both, you know, a hundred odd pages by themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And because they have a lot of reoccurring characters and story points, you could even say that, I mean, that's the thing. It almost feels like you're getting too, you're getting a, a story and its sequel in like 200 pages. So it almost feels like a big thing. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of tempting to say that outlaw is almost the, the empire strikes back to. It, it, the it's Star funny. Wars I would actually forgotten that until rereading it for this, but mm. outlaw is essentially the sequel to portrait of a mutant. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's really unusual that the mm-hmm. book essentially starts and ends with the same story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so, you, get some, you know, wackiness in between. <laughs> yeah, wackiness in between. So, in a way, I really think that it is the it's it it is the ideal way to to kind of be introduced to the character. I still think that it's kind of it's such an exceptionally odd idiosyncratic work that I'm I I think that there are people that will pick it up and be like, yeah, it's not for me or eh, I don't get it. Or I think that, I think that, you know, for me being like an old fart, I kind of feel like if you were an old fart who read a lot of seventies comics, um, it's, it can be an easier buy-in, but I almost see how there's an entire, more recent generation of comic book readers, like people who come to comics through web comics or, you know, way more weird alternative cartoons, you know, like you were talking about Centaur Island earlier. There's, there's a way in which Stronium Dog is um, more in line with, like a weird 
third cousin to say a cartoon network show like i don't know samurai jack or something like that then then it would be to people who were like oh yeah i i like batman should i pick up strontium dog and it could be kind of a harder like mm, don't know it'd be that's a hard sell you know yeah it's funny i was watching the the first episode of the netflix cowboy bebop show Mm, and one mm-hmm. of my first thought was, A, this is going to fail, and B, this is going to mean that no one's going to do a Strontium Dog show anytime soon. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, because I think Strontium Dog would make a great TV show. You know, uh, interesting. Interesting. I kind of think, I would think that, um, I would think that Strontium Dog, maybe because I was thinking of Spaghetti Westerns, I was like, I could see you doing... I could see you doing Strontium Dog, a Strontium Dog movie, um, or even two movies, like, especially because I feel like, you know, Outlaw and Portrait of a Mutant, it's like, oh, okay, there's your first one, there's your second one. It also helps that you've got a lot of supporting characters, and then you can sort of, that come back and quote unquote, the second movie. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like it, it, it seems like it was the it was the stuff when it almost seemed more like a tv show in that sort of 70s way you know that i was like i don't know like you know like i don't think that i'm not sure that we really watch tv shows like that anymore although i could be wrong so no, I, th- I think that's fair so uh, I, no, I just i I've, I've always like i've always thought oh this is this is like a tv show mm-hmm mm-hmm well, I get it. I do get it. Like it is it's it's very it's very episodic, I think. You know, it's funny. I felt I feel I um I spend a lot of I don't know about a lot of time, but there's a certain amount of time when we read the drocks where cuz there's so much material. I'm always like, "Oh yeah, if you were doing Dread the TV show, you would cherry pick this part and that part and put this part together and then throw that in there and then get this lay the groundwork for that further on down the line." You know, um and Strontium Dog is just you know, it's all it's practically the Dukes of Hazard. You know what I mean? Like it's they're just two good old boys you know, kind of thing. It's just, it's really kind of, it's kind of goofy. And like I said, in some ways I feel like, yeah, it's a spaghetti West series of spaghetti Western films. You know, this is kind of closer to some of the goofier things. Um, like they call them nobody or, um, fistful of dynamite or something like that. It, that, you know, that the spaghetti Westerns moved into where it was a little bit like, alternated between ultra serious and like super comedic. So, um, but yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be curious. There were, there were talks of course, at one point that someone was, had put in dibs on a Strontium dog movie and I can't really, I don't, I, I don't know. It'd be amazing to see it come to life I think it would need a somebody with a lot of kind, you know, kind of like what you see here. Somebody with a lot of chops and, um, and really something to prove. I guess. I was thinking of Edgar Wright because I think Edgar Wright is is a is a dynamic storyteller and is also kind of 
loves to do throw in a lot of goofiness and also has makes tends to make his stories very um narratively propulsive you know what i mean so yeah and i think that's the sort of thing you'd need right Mm -hmm. i I think i think so i think you need someone who can do the fast moving thing absolutely uh in, in the in the way that i think that Wagner and Grant specialize in this. Like you said, like this is a very kinetic strip. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. It it's it's a lot of like turning the screws chapter after chapter, like things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Um and then it looks like they're out of room and then somebody crashes in through a wall, saves them and gets them away and then it's off to like very long set pieces, but yeah, it's very very kinetic. So I think I think if you had someone who was a very kinetic filmmaker, you could you could do it, but but I think it'd be really hard. Like I feel like there is maybe a dozen filmmakers that would probably give their left eye tooth to to make a Stronium Dog movie, and it it probably kind of suck. So, but you know. <laughs> I'm Jeff. I'm really glad that you liked it. I did I have this too. Thank you, Graham. Like yeah. it was not going to be your thing, and I'm mm-hmm. really, really glad that that it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am too. I really am. Well, and and like I said, it was I a I appreciate the the change up. It definitely was a chance to do something different, very different. Um, but yeah, the the delight of when I was like, well, okay, so, you know, really, it's not my thing, but it looks like I'm going to have 400 pages of Carlos Escara art. Like, how bad is it really going to be? And then, fortunately, exactly. it really did. Yeah, exactly. How bad can it really be when Escara is, is drawing it? Yeah, for sure. He is. He really is on fire here. This is just just phenomenal work. Fuck. It's true. Like for for people who are uh, who have enjoyed Ascara stuff in in Dread, you haven't really seen Ascara until you've seen Ascara doing Strong Tim Yeah, yeah. I would I would actually say that that is. I don't know. It feels that feels true to me. I mean, I'm still a comparative Ascara neophyte, but this this was just stuff that. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, you mentioned the fact that Ennis did Stronium Dogs and um, he, you know, of course did Dread. Here in, in America, when he, he did a couple of series for um, Vertigo and of course Helix, the pre, you know, sort of semi, the sci-fi Vertigo that ended up just being folded in in sort of a weird yeah. Star-Lord becomes 2000 AD kind of way. And he does a lot of, he does a lot of work with Carlos Escara. You know, he does Bloody Mary, I think, you know, through like two or three minutes. And just a pilgrim. Yeah, and just a pilgrim and other stuff. And it's, it's kind of interesting and fun because you... Ennis in interviews at that point is just like, A, I can't believe how lucky I am that I get to work with Carlos Escara, and B, it it drives me nuts that people don't see that he's just one of the greatest comic book artists of all time. And I remember him being, uh, looking at it and being like, yeah, I mean, it's it's nice. 
it's okay. You know, I mean, part of that is, you know, just a pilgrim. Really, the art's nice. Like, the art in Bloody Mary is, like, pretty damn good. It's fun. But it's not like this, where you're just like, fucking hell. You know? Again, like Dread. The stuff, his stuff in Dread is fabulous. It's fabulous cartooning, you know? And, of course, it drives everyone nuts because you know so much of the work happens where he's working in color and he's doing those digital backgrounds that drives everyone insane and i will say that for people who've been listening to drock and and kind of bitching about how much they hate uh escara's photoshop effects for the backgrounds like fucking get this volume if you do not have it because it is just a it's, oh, it's, kind of, it's one it's 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 just him and ink yeah exactly and honestly it's, him showing why he's honestly one of the best yeah absolutely it's when him, it comes to him and it, like oh he can draw shit out of anything yeah exactly and and he and he does here so yeah definitely i mean you know there's no it, it's hard with with snack to be like okay is this like snack or snot instead of direct or dross but i oh it's my definitely... god but you did it anyway i did like, you're like, I'm it's hard but i found a way <laughs> <laughs> anyway definitely snack if if this stuff that we're saying sounds like it might be your jam try it because chances are good that it is it's it's not for everyone but i can really see how it creates some very diehard fans out of this material it's it's not for everyone but it's it's it is it's one of those like you know but if you like it you'll love it yeah exactly exactly you know so uh graham anything else that you want to cover or ask me about or that you want to point out about this volume or should we start start wrapping it up see let's start wrapping it up we are going to be back doing regular dread mm-hmm. next time around we are going to be doing uh case files volume 31 we're going to be back in the i think we're in the late 90s by this point we might wow. be in the year 2000s right uh but it is Wagner and Grant, although writing separately, as opposed to together, sadly. Uh, it, and it, we'll see how it feels after taking a break in, the, in their 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 greatest days, as we have done here. Yeah, no um, shit. Yeah, but that that's in a month. Next week is the last Wait Watt of of the year. But yeah. as we said last time, it's not a regular Wait Watt because of Jeff's absolutely batshit insane month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there will be Jeff and there will be uh, myself talking separately mm-hmm. about about our favorite books of the year, uh, which means this is the last time we're recording a, a, a podcast this year. Yeah. Which is, is kind of nuts, really. Yeah, it really is. It is. I think we were before we started talking on air, we were talking about how difficult it was to wrap our brains around this being the last our last quote-unquote regular uh recorded episode and it's december 11th you know it just sort of is strange Um, yeah it's it's really genuinely odd uh for that to be the case um but yeah so we're back with uh, with a wait what next week oh also uh wait what next week the chance are uh chloe is going to be on the bit with me and i have to tell you jeff because she 
told me to tell you that she is so uh what how did she describe it? i think she said fussy <laughs> that she did get to talk about strontium dog on here because she loves strontium dog more than dread i think yeah that makes sense that makes sense of course um in fact i i recall it's sort of a shame there was there was uh it was rumored it didn't quite pan out that that she was going to be here to talk about this as well so yeah, it would like, be fun if she shows up next week and you guys just end up talking about just talk about him, dog oh don't think <laughs> she probably hasn't thought about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah if we talk about if we just talk about strontium dog next week everyone uh, i'm sorry but that's that's <laughs> just what's <it's> gonna happen <laughs> um yeah, but but so this is the last time that we're recording this year, and so yes. let's actually take a moment while we're actually talking to each other to thank everyone for listening. Yes, uh, because it's been it's been a fucker of a year, and it's really been it's been a regular, genuine pleasure to get to do this with you, Jeff. Yeah. And honestly, that people are listening and enjoying it has been in a year of utter shit has been really nice. Yeah, I think so too, Graham. I really um, thank you for saying so. Absolutely agree. The first year of the pandemic, um, this sort of I, I felt like I felt like doing the podcast with you really managed to keep me anchored. Um, and, and what was nice was hearing from other people. They were like, "It's kind of just a relief to hear you guys do your regular blab." And it felt sort of felt kind of important for me. Like it was like, "Oh yeah, we really got to do this. Got to do it for the kids." But um, this year, <laughs> I found myself. Like, this year, yeah. I was the kid. I was the kid. Absolutely. This was, this really was important for me this year. So I'm incredibly grateful to you for continuing to, to talk with me at length. Um, and yeah, for, for everyone, cause I do think that you and I are, um, the, the more people were obligated to do something to the much likelier the odds that, that we will do it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So that's how yeah. to get us to do things, everyone. Um, yep. Make us feel a sense of obligation and uh, intense guilt if for some reason it can. <laughs> well, or, then, or an incredible fear of letting people down. Like, I'm not saying that's any better or negative. I just sort of feel like I don't want to make it sound like we're passively, aggressively negging our audience. <laughs> no, but into... I, I, no, but I really did like to be like, let me clarify. <laughs> Very specific type of neurosis we share about doing this podcast. <laughs> totally true. Totally true. Yeah, yeah, completely. So, um, hmm. So, yes, I feel we've wandered far afield. I know we should do our traditional wrap-up, but maybe, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't this time. Maybe we should just thank everyone. Um, tell them to join us here next week or next month if you're the sort of person that just follows us for Drock for the dread case files volume 31 which blows my mind um and uh you know if not we'll see you next week right yes and jeff uh it's it's i drug adjacent which means you're gonna sing us out somehow yeah i had kind of hoped that i had so <laughs> i no, think no, that's I, it what no what i'm saying is i want you to pretend to be a character from strong team dog oh gosh okay hold on here um, yeah, you've been listening to Snack, Old Cucumber. Amazing. 
time.